The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. How y'all doing this morning? Gotta admit, I'm nervous as always. <laughs> but there's nothing I can really do about that except um, pray the Lord will carry me through it, you know. <laughs> and um, it's funny that that um, everything's kind of, everyone's afraid right now. You know, everyone's, everyone's not sure what's going to happen in the world, and everyone's kind of unsure of what's going on. And I also thought it was funny that I'm taking a little bit of Brother Buddy's time today because he's actually the one who partially inspired this message back a few months ago. So, um, but if I had to put a title on this message, this should be, Why... We should not fear to fear God. And let me tell you, we in the Bible are told several, several times that we need to have a fear of God and respect God. Many times, especially nowadays, people are afraid to claim God and they're afraid to speak up for the Lord who has saved them and who has given them the life that they have. And we can check throughout the Bible, and there's plenty of examples, and I talked to Brother Chris about this, and um, kind of broke down into a few different categories for me. It was those who fear God, those who fear men, and those who don't fear God enough is what Brother Chris helped me to see. And I want you to see from the very beginning that man did not fear God enough. I mean, turn to Genesis chapter 3, and you know this is the chapter about the fall of man. Starts out immediately, you know, God makes man, makes the creatures and everything. He says, now all you got to do, don't eat of this fruit. That's it. That's all you have to do. One command. Don't eat of this fruit. Well, you know how that went. <laughs> immediately, um, the serpent talked to the woman and told her that, oh, he said, you can't eat of that. She's like, well, you can't eat or touch. And, you know, they had the whole conversation. Well, then um, in verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now you see, to eat of the fruit... They didn't fear God the way they should. They didn't respect his commandments. But you notice after they ate, they were afraid in a different way. They went and hid themselves. They, they knew that God was coming, so they ran. They hid. And, you know, we should not allow ourselves to get to that point. We shouldn't want to run from God. We should want to run to God. Amen. We shouldn't eat of the fruit, but instead trust in the Lord that he told us not to do that in the first place for a reason. And, you know, there's, there's plenty of more examples. I always love going talking about Moses because he just, he's very relatable to me, you know. He didn't want to get up and talk in front of people, and he didn't want to lead the people, and he didn't want to do any of that. But God chose him anyways, and God said, you're going to do it, whether you want to or not. Because <laughs> he's the one who chose, that's, that's who God chose. So we're going to go to Exodus chapter 4. And this is during the, the burning bush, and... God has given Moses the signs so that the people will believe him 
You know, he tosses the rod down and it'll become a snake. It'll put his hand in his coat and it'll come out leprous and put it back in and it's normal again. And after seeing those things, um, Moses still goes in um, verse 10 of chapter 4. Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. <laughs> I, I understand that <laughs> all too well. But, you know, he's given Moses the signs, and what, what does Moses say? He's still afraid. He's still, he's still scared to go and talk to the people of the Lord and to lead them. And... Again, he is not fearing the Lord enough in this case. I mean, he's seen a bush burn and not be eaten up. He's seen a staff turn to a snake. He's seen leprosy cured, uncured, cured. And he's still afraid about speaking, you know. And that's it's very manlike of him, and it's very on par for what we, how I am too. Um, every time I think the Lord can't do something, then he just, he's like, what do you mean? I'm the Lord, you know. <laughs> and... Um, like I told you, Brother Buddy kind of, he talked about fear one day during one of his messages, kind of glanced over it, and it really inspired me. So I've been thinking about this for a couple months, and I thought I had my whole message, you know, it was ready, and I was like, I think we're good. And then last night, something just popped through my head, and I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I had to go look, and I, it kind of completely changed one part of my message, and I'm going somewhere else now. Um, um, so we're going to go to the... Exodus chapter 12, just a little bit over. And this is after, just to give you some insight of what's going on, this is after the plagues and the, the, all the awful happenings in Egypt and the Israelites are being held captive still. And this is, chapter 12 talks about the Passover. And the Lord tells them that they need to go slay the firstborn male lamb and they need to put the blood on the doorstep or on the sides of the door and the top of the door frame and he tells them all these specific and particular ways to prepare the lamb and eat it and everything else and what I thought was really cool about this is he explains that they'll do this for the rest of the time and in chapter chapter 12 verse 28 it says and the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron so did they they jumped right to it they had seen what the Lord could do. They had seen what he could allow. They had seen everything he had done. They would seen the plagues. And they, when he said that I'm going to kill the firstborn of man and animal of every house, they believed him. They feared the Lord justly. They saw that he had the power and he is the Lord. And they recognized that, hey, we need to listen to this. <laughs> We can't mess around with the Lord, you know, and he's not just someone else out there. I mean, we, can't, we can't just blow off the Lord like he's another person because he's not another person. He's the one who has created everything and who's done everything. And that, and turn with me to Job. I know Brother Chris gets scared when, I, when me or Dalton goes to Job. <laughs> but I, I was really led to here. Um, <laughs> so I... I have to scare him a little bit. I have to preach it. <laughs> but um, so I'm told you to turn to Job 16. But before this, this this is after Job has already lost his children, his house, his animals. I mean, a lot has happened to Job. And then his friends come along, his friends, so to speak, and they are saying, "Why don't you just turn away? You know, why don't you just you know curse the Lord?" All that. like they just 
and his wife too saying the same thing. And then Job answered him in verse 1, I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. Shall vain words have an end? Or what embody, what emboldment thee that thou answereth? I could speak as ye do. If your soul were in my soul's stead, I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you. But I would strengthen you with my mouth and moving of my lips should assuage your grief. Now, Job's saying here basically that why would I turn against my God for some men? And I think it's, it's very telling that God allowed the, the devil to afflict Job. And even though the devil had afflicted him so heavily, Job would not give in. And he would not give up on the Lord no matter what. He knew the Lord was there for him no matter what. And he, I mean, he'd lost everything. And all he had around him were miserable comforters. And he said, there's one who still comforts me, and it's the Lord. And I thought it was really funny later on in Job. I got to reading a bunch. And it starts in chapter 38 of Job. And we're not going to read it because it's, it's extensive. But, you know, we'll just start out. It says, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkened counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Hath thou laid the measures thereof that thou knowest? Or who has stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the corners thereof? And this goes on to chapter 42 of the God asking Job, Who did this? Who did this? Where were you? Letting him know there's a difference and a large difference between man and God. And that's part of the reason that we need to fear him so. Because, like I said earlier, God is not man. He is completely separate and different. He made us. You know, I don't look at a book or a pot or something like that and go, you know, I'm on the same level as that. Because I can make that or I can control that. And it can't do anything about it. And there's no reason for me to fear that book or pot, you know. And so, the, realistically, it should fear me. And you just think about it on a, a logical standpoint. I mean, that, if, you just, if you just think about it logically, it's the same way with us to God, except there's even a bigger gap between us because we took stuff that God made to make that. God just spoke it and made it. <laughs> I mean, that's an awesome power right there. That's, that's something we'll never be able to touch. And he tells us um, in, with the commandments and with the, when he kind of shortens it down from 10 to 2, and it's, you know, love the God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbors. I mean, what he put first, he said, love God. He said, God is the one that we need to fear and love. Because fear... When you think about it today, you know, I'm scared of the, the riots, you know. You know, I don't want someone to come tear up our stores and kill people. I mean, I'm, that's, that's scary to me. But when we talk about fear in the Bible here, it's not, like I said earlier, it's not running from God because you're scared of him. It's you're afraid to be without God. And so you run to him and you hold on to him and you hope he holds on to you as strong as he can. And you hope that you don't let go because God's never going to let go of his children 
you're, you're always the one who backs out. <laughs> as much as you hate to admit it, as much as I hate to admit it, you're the one who backs out. I'm the one who backs out. And it's, it's like a slap across the face <laughs> every time you realize it. It's not a fun realization when you're down in the pits and you're down in the bottom of that valley and you see the mountaintop and you think, I could have been up there the whole time. It's, it's, it's not a great feeling. And we're going to go to Proverbs real quick, and this will be my final point. In chapter 1, God tells us what a fear in him will do for us. And we'll start in chapter 7, or not chapter 7, verse 7. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Now you see here, God, immediately, he says, if you have fear of the Lord, you'll have the beginning of knowledge. And we've talked about it before. Um, the Lord could have left us in the dark about what he did for us and how he saved us and how he did everything for us. But he gave us this book and he gave us men to teach the word that we may know it. And being in the wisdom and the knowledge and the light will make your life so much easier. It'll make it harder in different ways. But knowing that your life has been settled already and that you can have content and peacefulness that the Lord has done everything for you. That's something you can't find out amongst sinners. Because they'll drag you down. They'll chain you to the ground. And Proverbs 3 um, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. There's a big one. <laughs> lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. See that? There it is. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. You're running from evil if you fear the Lord. Not from God, from evil. And that's, that's the, main, the main thing I want you to take away from this today is that you, in yourself, should not run away from the Lord, but you should fear him and love him. Amen. And like it says here, he'll guide you. He'll be a light into your path. That's something that man can't do. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I'm so thankful that you have decided to do what you've done for us, Lord, and that you have saved us, Lord. And I'm glad that you've given us a healthy fear of you, Lord, and that we, we have this church, Lord, that Aunt Lorene had a great fear, Lord, and she, she kept the church up, Lord, and through you she was able to, to bring this back to life, and through Chris, who has been a faithful pastor, Lord, we are, we are forever in your debt, Lord, and I am fearful that I would ever lose that and that I would ever run away, Lord, and I just, I'm just glad, Lord, I am just beyond words, and I'm just I'm just so thankful, Lord, that you have chosen us and that you have sent your son to die for us, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for that wonderful message, Brother Dylan, uh, and, and beautiful heartfelt prayer. You continue to pray now for Elder Buddy Abernathy. Now, the church cannot make preachers. If the church makes a preacher quote-unquote, makes a preacher. Um, the man you've tried to make a preacher will be miserable. Amen. 
and it will be a burden for the congregation to hear him speak. Uh, someone once said that the way you know that a man is called to preach is when he preaches. Now what we mean by that is, you know, it says in the scripture that a, a gift will make room for itself. Now that's different than a man that thinks he has a gift trying to make room for that gift that he thinks he has. You see what I'm saying? If you've got a gift of God, you don't have to push it on anybody. God will use that gift to edify his people. So I certainly don't intend to assume who is and who is not called to preach, but how blessed we are if we have three or four men in our congregation who are called to preach. I've actually had uh, a few people uh, at other churches not really get upset with me, but sort of rebuke me and say, well, why don't those preachers go pastor somewhere else? You know, when I tell them that uh, there's three ordained elders at Bethlehem and a, a young man that's growing and, you know, we're about to get to that point here. Uh, but I don't see that right now uh, any of these men have a burden to go somewhere else. Now, Brother Neil Honey, as I understand, is... Uh, I think he's considered the pastor at a church in Mississippi. Uh, but we just need to pray that God would lead all the ministers according to his will. Now, I had about an hour-long sermon today. And, but, Brother Dylan, I'm not bothered at all that you took that time uh, as the oldest preacher in the area. And I can't believe I'm saying that. Because yesterday I was the boy preacher. But as the oldest preacher in the, air, in the area, uh, I'm glad to yield to any gift that God bestows. Amen. And if I wanted to destroy myself, the best way to do it would to be become jealous and to push down other young men. And I've seen that happen before. So today I'm going to speak on the message that I had on my mind, but... Uh, we'll condense it if the Lord will help us. And before I read any scripture, I want to plant uh, a thought in your mind using just some simple illustrations. I want you to think about a man who is a carpenter or a mechanic and think about the tools that that man uses. A man that loves being a carpenter gets excited shopping for tools. A man who's a mechanic likes it when he can have good quality tools. One of the best uh, brands of uh, mechanic tools are uh, Snap-on. That's the brand. And uh, I have a couple of those that someone gave me. I doubt if I'll ever buy any because they're so expensive. But that snap-on screwdriver I have is a Phillips head, and the head of that screw has even a higher quality metal than the rest of the rod on the screwdriver. And 
you know, I can tell a big difference when I'm working with a screw that's uh, difficult to screw in or screw out. That high-quality metal makes a difference. You know, and you can spend thousands of dollars on the right tools. And I've always, uh, what I was told and what I've tried to tell Abel is if you can afford to get a good quality tool, you need to buy that because hopefully it'll last you your lifetime. You know, if you see some of these screwdrivers on TV that are advertised for $19.99, here's what you're going to get. I've actually had some of those. I didn't buy them, but they were given to me. Maybe that's why they were given to me. <laughs> but I tried to loosen a screw that was in tight, and the rod of the screwdriver started, you know, the tip of the screwdriver started bending. Well, that's what you get right. if you don't spend much money. Those are uh, such low-quality tool, tools you can hardly use them. Right. But you know, as, as good a tools as you may have, um, I know Brother John Morgan just bought a, a sawmill. As good a tools as you may have, those tools, as Brother uh, Dylan pointed out about the book or the pot, they're helpless in and of themselves. They're inanimate objects. They can't do a thing on their own. Uh, furthermore, whoever uses the tools needs to be skillful. You know, I, uh, I, I can do a little bit of mechanic work. Abel's already better than I am. But when it comes to carpentry, I can't do a thing. You can buy me the most expensive tools there are, and that won't help a bit. On the other hand, a good carpenter can take the ugliest hammer you could find that maybe has been out in the yard and got rust on it and the paint's off the handle, but his skill can pick up that old ugly hammer and build something that's very impressive. Now, with all that in your mind, I want to read to you from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. And this is uh, Paul describing uh, the operation of the gift of a man who has been called to preach. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Notice this, there's a treasure, but it's in an earthen vessel. The vessel's not of any value. What's valuable is the treasure in the vessel. You know, if you dig up a... Uh, a container of gold, you're not too interested in the container. You're interested in the gold in the container. You may throw away the container because it's not important. What's important is it houses the gold. We have this treasure. Now this is referring to the call to preach. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Now why did God put this treasure in a vessel such as we are 
a vessel that as it ages, the curse of sin becomes more evident. You know, we grow older, our body breaks down. Why does God put this treasure in an old earthen vessel that's going to just wear out and ultimately die? The reason is given here, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, what's important is God, Amen. Not, the tr not the vessel. That's right. And God's purpose is that the excellency of the power would be of him and not of us. Now let's look at a few scriptures that, uh, that illustrate this point. Uh, first of all, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And as I read these verses, it uh, lets me feel a little more confident that maybe I am called to preach. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3, verses uh, 7 and 8. Again, referring to the ministry, Paul says, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Now when he, when he talks about uh, this gift of the grace of God, he's talking about that treasure in an earthen vessel. And as he goes on and says, uh, the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Now that phrase, effectual working of his power, in this case is not referring to the new birth. It's referring to God empowering or energizing that gift that he's given. You see, even though uh, I may be called to preach, I can't automatically assume that I'm always going to be blessed to preach. There have been at least two times, maybe three times since I've been ordained, that I walked in the pulpit and I just had to say, brethren, I don't have a thing. I just, I don't have anything on my mind, and I would just walk back down. And that's a lot better than trying to pretend like you got something to preach. You know, that's much more burdensome on the people than that, uh, that uh, temporary disappointment of the Lord not blessing. So think about, you could compare that to a power tool. You can have the best power tool there is, but if it's not energized with electricity... It's no good. It's of no value. But then he says, verse 8, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given. Now remember, the grace here is not is the aspect of grace that calls a man to preach. That's what's under consideration here. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul says, if you find the least saint there is in any church, I see myself as less than them. Now, I know how you're prone to think, and I, because I thought this way, because I was a pre, uh, because before I was a preacher, I thought this way. I thought that a preacher that walked, was a man that walked right beside God 24-7. 
You know, he was just, he was almost so heavenly minded, as one preacher said, he was no earthly good. I mean, I thought he was just with the Lord all the time, but then the Lord called me to preach. And I began thinking either I'm the rare exception to the rule, or this is their experience as well. So don't think that your pastor is a spiritual superman. If you think of him that way, you'll be afraid to come talk to him. You know, Brother Chris and I visited for about three hours yesterday, and we covered a lot of things about the church. May have covered you. We covered a lot of things about the church. And, you know, we have the exact same struggles and trials and disappointments that you do. We're no different. But to show you how people think, I was in a business meeting one time and somebody in the meeting cussed and they said sorry buddy well don't tell me you're sorry as brother uh, uh, Dylan said I'm not the one to fear I can't do anything to you apologize to God not me but you know people just think oh he's he's called to preach he's a spiritual man he's kind of living a, a level above everybody else you know he's really not living in the the here and now, like we are. Paul didn't feel that way. He said, unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given. I would never have chosen to be a preacher. I, 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 I have never seen myself as qualified. But my mother told me one time, and I'm glad I didn't, she didn't tell me this until years later, that the day I joined the church when I was 15, the oldest deacon in the church told his wife, that'll be our next. I'll say, you know, it's rare you have to question it. That's right. Now, we know he's just a man like we are. It's just God blessed him with an outstanding gift. But he said that it had been his experience that when the Lord is going to give a gift to a man in the church, he'll, he'll, he'll usually put an impression of that on somebody else. And if that be the case, then that's what I experienced. And this old deacon went and told his wife that. Now, I was only 15 years old, and I wasn't, you know, the best kid around when I was 15. And he went and told his wife that, and she said, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. But see, God calls whoever he wants to call. And he doesn't check with us first. He's not going to say, okay, Zion Church, uh, it's my purpose to call this man. What do you think about it? No, it's not up to us. You see, because this is not based on uh, human abilities. And we're going to show you what I mean by that. So Paul said, I am less than the least of all saints. So with that in mind... Uh, look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. You see, it's God's intention that you not focus on the man. 1 Corinthians 2, 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined to know to not, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 
Now that's what Brother Dylan was saying, wasn't he? When he got up and said, I, I'm really nervous. Well, here's the aged, experienced Apostle Paul. And he didn't say, I got this figured out. I, I have my Ph.D. Now, I'm not being critical of education, but the, but the problem in the denominational world is they have transferred the way you succeed in the secular world to the spiritual world, or they've attempted to do so, and it doesn't work. You know, Brother Chris, and I know he wouldn't want me to say this, but he academically, academically, uh, when, when he graduated, he, he was very advanced. You know, I, I sort of just made B's and C's, and, you know, my GPA wasn't that great. But you know what? I don't feel intimidated. You know why? Because I'm not trying to compete with him in the courtroom. It's, it's not that at all. When God calls men to preach, for example, I knew of a church one time where the pastor had an eighth grade education and the professor, uh, the, the uh, dean of botany, if I'm saying that right, the dean of botany at Valdosta State College was a deacon in his church. Now how in the world could that... Eighth grade education preacher feed that dean of botany. Wasn't any problem. Because it's not like it is out in the world. So Paul says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. It has been my experience that I get the best response when I'm the most afraid. You know, there have been times when maybe the Lord put something on my mind that I knew was going to offend somebody. And it's never our purpose to offend. It's only our purpose to say, Lord, give me what to preach, and I'll preach it. Don't think that Brother Chris is sitting back at home saying, let's see, what do they need to hear? Let me think about Brother so-and-so. Yeah, I know what he's been doing. That's what I'm going to preach on. That's not the way it works. Let me give you my experience this week. I, I Going to work one day, I had a, a verse impressed upon my mind. And I thought, yeah, that's what the Lord wants me to preach on. But I never had any other impressions about how to develop that verse. You know what I'm saying? That verse was on my mind, but I never had a sense of direction of where to go from that verse. But you know, I've been ordained long enough that if Saturday night I have nothing on my mind, it doesn't bother me anymore because God is faithful. Amen. I got up this morning, I was sitting on the porch praying, and a verse came to my mind. And then my mind said, go here, go here, go there. And I said, Lord, thank you. Amen. Now, do I, did I sit back and say, man, here's what they need to hear? Not at all. Matt, if you, if you think we're preaching to pick on you, that's really evidence that God gave it to us. Amen. You know, I found it out that when, when God thinks we're reading your mail and we've never read your mail, that's evidence that God's in the matter. And I, you know, I've, I've actually preached at churches where I've nev never been before, and I've actually said, now this is a difficult subject today, but I don't know anybody here, so there's no way I'm picking anybody out. Please don't ever think that. 
if a man's doing that, it'll, it'll come out. It'll come out that he's got the wrong attitude. But if what he preaches hits you between the eyes and he's preaching it in love, say, thank you, God, for talking directly to me. And if it agrees with the some people say, well, I don't know if the Lord impressed you or not to preach on that. You can't prove that one way or the other. All you can, all you can do is say whether or not it's scriptural. If it's scriptural, you, don't, it, you have no, no, no ability to say, well, the Lord impressed you with that, or you're just preaching it because it hits me. All you need to really say is, is that the word of God? Amen. That's all you need to ask. Paul says, verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 2, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. See, if I have the Lord's blessings, that's all I need. If I don't, I tell you, I can write it out, do all I want to prepare it, and it'll be dry and dull. Now, when I, was, when I was, uh, first joined the church, a lot of the things that Primitive Baptists did were an overreaction to what our friends in the Missionary Baptist Church did. For example, they, not at the beginning of the division, but later on they began sending their men to seminaries to train them to preach or train them to speak at least. And a lot of our preachers uh, went to the other extreme. That, you know, you don't need to, if the Lord's going to bless you to preach, you'll preach. I like what Elder Armand Rich used to say. He said, some people think, uh, you know, and he was so countryfied, it was funny that when he would tell it. He said, some people think that the Lord's just going to drill a hole in your head and throw a funnel in there and pour it in. That's not the way it is. See, that's an extreme reaction. I knew a preacher one time that went to a church, and the, the, I don't know if he was a deacon or whatever, but one of the men standing at the door took his Bible and went like this and said, I just wanted to make sure you didn't have any notes in there. See how foolish we can get. Now, here is the counsel I would give to Brother John Morgan or any young preacher. And this is a statement I heard a preacher make one time. He said, my job is to give you what the Lord gives me. And I do that the way that I can do it best. Give you what the Lord gives me. Now, if you have notes and uh, the Spirit leads you away from your notes, go away from them. That's very important. Now, here's, here's my written notes right here. You see this little post-it note? I've just got verses written on there. That works for me. Writing out more than that doesn't work. So my job is to give you what the Lord gives me. But the main thing is that the man is called of God to preach. And then whatever works best for him to remember it and deliver it is what matters. Now, let's look at, and you say, Brother Buddy, you just, that's just a sermon for 
uh, Brother Chris and Brother John Morgan know it's so important that you understand what's going on in him. Chris has preached a lot about fellowship. You know how I have the best fellowship with my wife? By getting to know her. You know how you have the best fellowship with other church members? By getting to know them. You know how you can be the best encouragement to your pastor? You need to understand what's going on in him in terms of that gift. Because if you just think it's a a weekend hobby or something he likes doing, you're liable to say some things that are discouraging. You know, people used to have, I've actually had this said to me, and I know there were some times this may have been justified, but they thought it was their duty to keep the preacher humble. Listen, we're already beat down and discouraged enough because Satan's working 24-7. There's many times when I walk out of the pulpit, now I don't feel that way right now, but sometimes I walk out of the pulpit and you know what I focus on? I focus on the one thing I said wrong instead of the hundred things I might have said right. There's sometimes I walk out of the pulpit, sit down, and no matter how encouraging you are, I'm wanting to go through the floor saying, Lord, how can I be called to preach? See, there's something going on inside of him, and it's not just that he likes public speaking. And you need to understand that, and I'm not saying you don't, but Paul said, uh, I'm going to stir you up by way of remembrance. One time he said, I'm going to do this even though I know you know it and know you're established in it. I'm going to do it anyway. Now look at one more example of that. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17, Paul said, for Christ sent me not to baptize. You know... He said in the previous verse, uh, or in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you. You know why he said that? Because people were saying, oh, Paul is my pastor. He baptized me. No, Apollos is my pastor. He baptized me. You see, the day there begins to be competition between Brother Chris and I is the day we need to separate. Don't you ever say, Brother Chris baptized me or Brother Buddy baptized me. Now, I hadn't baptized any of you yet, so you can't say that. But see the principle I'm talking about. Paul was so aggravated at them following men that he said, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you because I don't want that to be on my record that I baptized this person that now follows me as a man. But the verse I wanted is... uh, Uh, Verse 17, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. Listen, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Paul said, I don't want the cross of Christ to be ineffective. And if I get up here and speak eloquently, now I want to speak eloquently, but that's not what I want to get your attention. I don't want you to say, man, Brother Buddy has a vocabulary. Some preachers have a vocabulary. You ever listen to Michael Goins preach? I don't know of anybody that has a vocabulary like him. But that's not what gets my attention. 
what gets my attention is that he is called of God. You know, Brother Michael's there in some of my sermons, so Brother Michael, if you heard that, uh, that's just an encouragement because uh, there is no doubt that the Lord has called him to preach, and he is one of my favorite preachers when the Lord blesses him, one of my favorite gifts. Now, notice what uh, Paul says here. I came not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now look at Acts chapter, I believe it's chapter 14, and verse 13. Let's see if I got that right. Yeah, Acts chapter... Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Notice how the preachers, not just the preachers, but how, how the apostles were described. Here's what the public thought about. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, now that's boldness in the Spirit. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant man, that makes me feel like maybe I'm called to preach. When they realized they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know, the older I get, the the less qualified I feel to be. Plus, when you recognize your mind is not as sharp. You know, Brother Chris and I were visiting yesterday, and there were at least three times he had to, I had to ask him what I was about to say. You know, and that's, I'm fine if you laugh at that, but that's just evidence that, you know, I'm, I'm not all here like I thought I was. <laughs> But you know, I can get in the pulpit and I, I don't have that struggle. The Lord blesses. Now, I know our time's gone, so let me just go to a couple of other uh, verses. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, that is, this is, this is God's way of doing it. And it's not going to be man's way. After that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. The reason that a, that a seminary cannot perpetuate truth is because it's a man-made institution. The church, listen now, the church is a living organism and the life is the spirit of God God has always perpetuated truth via the church one of the main reasons I'm convinced that we need to use the King James Version is for the first several hundred years of the New Testament church they only use the transcripts from which the King James is translated that convinces me more than anything else. 
or, or otherwise, we have to say for the first few hundred years, they had corrupt translations. And I know that wasn't the case. But notice he says, after then the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That does not say that preaching is foolish. It says that some people view it that way. In other words, if I said, if I invited someone, maybe, maybe their pastor has a, a high education, and there are some churches that won't ask a man to be their pastor unless he has a certain level of education in uh, religious institutions. But if I, if I invited somebody to go with me, say we're going to drive an hour, and I'm going to say, now this man we're going to here, he, he didn't graduate from high school. You know, they, they would find that peculiar, wouldn't they? We wouldn't think a thing about it. But they would find that peculiar. But it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. In other words, God says, I'm going to just confound man. Man's going to try to set up his way of perpetuating truth in his institutions, and that institution is going to have a president and different levels, and men can feel important based on the level they are. God says, Here how, here's how I'm going to do it. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. To save, and that's not eternal salvation. It's talking about deliverance from the bondage of sin and standing in the liberty you have in Christ. He says it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And the Bible says, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.